0: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer
1: flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of The Daily Mirror, and Tony Evans of the Evening Standard. New year, same old Jose Mourinho. The world's against him. He's at war with referees and pundits. He's demanding more money for better players. Now, he got the win he desperately needed at Everton, but let's begin with the big question. Is this the year he leaves Man United? It's a really good question, uh, Mike, because I
1: think all the signs of pointing in one direction. And uh, we're all, at the moment, uh, midway through, a row between himself and Paul Scholes, um, which I can't really understand because Scholes is someone who is uniquely qualified to talk about the deficiencies of any given midfielder who plays for Manchester United. He's also uniquely qualified uh, to talk about the standards that need to be reached to play for Manchester United, having met those standards as an individual and within part of a very successful team structure for the most successful manager that Manchester United have ever had. What we have with Mourinho is a situation where he doesn't stay for too long at any given club. Granted, he does bring a lot of success to the clubs he has been at in the past. And he doesn't have the time he's almost a man in a hurry he doesn't have the time to to see through the development of players he's about making good players better Uh, but when it doesn't go his way he does pick his ball up and walk off and I think all the signs are
2: pointing that to that now yeah because you know he bleats about respect which to be fair to him given his record he deserves but then to show disrespect to others that's the, the Mourinho in, in in a nutshell, isn't it? He's a complete contradiction. Oh yeah, yeah. He's um, you know he's
3: very self-centered, and he points the finger at everyone all the time. And Ed Woodward, who I mean, you know, a lot of people have criticised Ed Woodward over the years, but he's getting it now. If things don't go Mourinho's way, he just looks for a scapegoats, and. It, it's funny, since he's been at Man United, he's really miserable, he's been unhappy. You know, he has had that bounce about him he once had at Chelsea. He looks as like if he's not enjoying the job, and uh, the combination of not enjoying the job and getting his own way seems to have a really adverse effect on the team. And what, 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 what's, what's concerning is he complains he hasn't got the players. And, uh, you know, they've got loads of players, they've spent a lot of money. But the lack of adventure, you know, from that team, it's, it's stunning. They're, they're so negative comparatively, you know, to to how they should be. It's 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 amazing. And the one thing he always did was his, his teams broke fast, and the you know, so they they were quite exciting to watch. People said they were boring. I never thought they were,
2: but but now they are actually the tall. Mm. Do you think in retrospect? Parking the bus as he did at Anfield was a pivotal mistake or a very revealing mistake.
3: Yeah, it really was because at that time they had had a head of steam up. They were rolling over teams. They were scoring a lot of goals late on and um, wearing teams down. You think, oh, yeah. And in in the the opening exchanges at Anfield, I thought they'd come for they come to get something. They were working the ball down down the left, trying to exploit uh, Liverpool's left-back position. And, um, and then, after about 10 minutes, they just dropped back. And all of a sudden, it, it seemed to put doubt in the minds of the players. And, uh, and, and I think that was the moment when
2: the season turned, really. Well, you've known Mourinho well over the years since he turned up at Chelsea. How have you seen him develop, not as just a manager, but as a man? It's interesting because when he arrived at Chelsea
1: and covered it at the time, he was a very combative type of manager. Uh, but he was backing it all up on the pitch, and he needed to be combative in some ways because he was fighting for Chelsea. You know, and and, and he was fighting in for, for for sporting situations really. Now, since that time and this. It's all personal. You know, he talks about skulls being jealous and, and,
2: and, and, and you know, it,
1: it's, it's... There's a spin this, this spin whole
2: Kings current. of rock and roll thing that he came up with, basically implying that, you know, the likes of skulls and the Neville's almost envy yes. the, the wage structure now at Man United and they want to be part of it.
1: Exactly. And, and you know the fascinating thing about all this? It's needless. At Manchester United, he has he has people who back him regardless of what he says. He has spent over £300 million since he's been at the football club. He has wonderful players, this nonsense about I don't have enough up front. Without Lukaku and Ibrahimovic, he's still able to field a £57 million forward up front. The best, One of the best young talents in Rashford. Uh, Mata, who still have a tremendous football brain. So many good players at that football club. Why is he needing to go to war? Why? Because, as you say, he's not getting enough out of a side, a club that's built on a- attacking traditions. He has a very safety-first mentality compared to his rivals across the way who are playing some of the most exhilarating football that the Premier League has ever seen. I think it's instructive as well, the players he's bought. Aside from Mkhitaryan, they've all been
3: huge, all over six foot, all really physical. Mm-hmm. And a time when the game's getting quicker and, um, you know, look at the players City's bought... They- they haven't bought physicality, they've bought talents, and Mourinho's gone that way. But the, the thing about as as a man, when he first comes to Chelsea, yeah, you know, he, yeah, he was, you know, he was abrasive, and he was, he, he, but there was always a twinkle, and there yes, was always yeah. an element of self-parody there, and and he he was good company.
2: Now he's not. He's just, you know, he's so downbeat. Mm, I'm trying to be fair to him here. You know, one of the sticks that we beat him with is that he doesn't develop players in the way that maybe Pep Guardiola has. But when you look at the way that Lingard has flourished, you've got to say he's made an impact with him, haven't you?
3: Well, I mean, you look across the board there, Martial, Lingard, you know, and Rashford, so much pace there. And yet, you say they've flourished, but they should be doing better, all three. You know, all three are big talents. With a lot of pace, I mean, can you imagine if Guardiola had them? He'd set them loose. He'd have them pressing the opposition defenders high up. He'd have them running at people. And there's just a little bit, you know, he's reluctant to use them together. And for, for a man who's got so much pace available, United look so static.
2: Mm, which is the last thing in accused accuse City of being. With Guardiola, has he absolutely won the argument now with Mourinho on who is the best coach? In club football? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> that's two in his programme, not bad.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> um more United Kingdom and Allcomers record. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: right. Well, the fascinating thing about Mourinho is that, you look at the many different countries that he's won the league, improved football teams, good teams, to be fair, um, answered questions about whether his team scored enough goals and whatever... I still think Mourinho has the edge. When you look at his trophy hall and the different countries that he's done it in as well, whereas Guardiola's worked with some of the best players in in European football, full stop, you know, Barcelona, Bayern, Munich. Um, I think that Mourinho possibly does still have the edge, but at the moment, Guardiola is doing, he's not just doing it well, but he's doing it in a country where everyone suggested he couldn't. Do it, and, and let's not kid ourselves. At the start of this season, we were all saying, for that spend, for the money that City have backed him with, he cannot fail. Well, how he's rammed those words down all of our throats because they're streaking clear with the league, but they are playing sensational football. He's imposing as well, home and away. On rival teams, uh, and and he's managing to find a way even in the tough situations. And just one final point, I think if you look at some of the players that everyone thought would be bombed out under Guardiola, Delf, uh, Fernandinho, Mangala, Otamendi, they're all fitting into his team structure, and they're all flourishing. I, I, I agree, and one of the things is I
3: didn't think he could impose his style of football on the Premier League, and um I and he has, and it's as simple as that. I. You could complain that the uh, the opposition, especially the other members of the so-called Big Six, uh, need to look at themselves long and hard mm. for their lack of their, their ability to challenge Guardiola tactically and technically. But he's done it, and you know, fair play to him. And he's he, and and the problem with Mourinho, Mourinho appears by contrast to be stuck in a different age,
1: yes. playing a different game. What would be interesting would be if if Mourinho were to respond to this by changing the way he goes about his job. Because I don't think Mourinho's finished. And I, I, like you said, we we do have to be fair to him. I think people are getting bored with him, though. <laughs> yes. I think they're getting bored of the shtick, the blaming of the referees when it's quite clear his team are not playing well enough, the blaming of officials, the blaming of the fixture con- uh, g- congestion and, and, and the TV companies and whoever else, when... Quite clearly, at some level, he has to look at himself. When you can't beat a uh, Southampton team that hadn't won in the previous seven, 15th in the Premier League, and can't score goals, and they have a fragile confidence, that's not the referee's fault. That's your fault, not being bold enough and, and taking the shackles off your players, which we saw, to be fair to him again, at Everton, where, where the, the team played so well because they were so forward-thinking. I think we need more from him. And, and I think, you know, you, you, get, you can get bored with a shtick,
3: but if he delivers and he wins trophies, you can live with it. But when, when they look as if they're getting left behind, then really.
2: Yeah. Is there an element, Tony, of Liverpool knocking him or Manchester United off their perch, to use a famous phrase, mm. simply because of their style being infinitely more attractive. And United fans, despite all the tribal loyalties, maybe looking at the way Liverpool play and think, I want a bit of that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think they, they, they fell off the perch themselves.
3: But uh, in terms of the flamboyance and the style, yeah, I mean, I think I think most people would rather watch Liverpool than United at the moment. Uh, I think there's actually Liverpool fans ultimately would trade some trophies for a bit of style. But, you know, um, know, there's still the promise. Uh, Without a doubt, I think Klopp's... So to, uh, by comparison, and you know they're not that much different in age, but by comparison appears youthful and new and he's got a bit of zest about him, a bit of bounce. Whereas Mourinho just seems flat and, and his team seem flat as well.
2: Mm-hmm. What about um, the broader picture? Um, I thought um, Pep Guardiola made a really important point about the need to protect players. Do you think you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think um, there's a really
1: good piece by Mark Hells in one of the national papers uh, where he talks about the fact that referees at the moment are not providing enough protection to players across the board. They're not applying the, the, the laws often enough and uh, you you look at the example of De Bruyne who was um, fouled by uh, Jason Punches I think it was Um, and also De Bruyne fouled by Delhi Ali Mm. and in both cases law 12 should have been applied which is the use of excessive force and the reckless nature of the challenges that were made on them and I think we are not seeing that enough and it's not about just protecting city players but it's protecting all of the creative players in the Premier League. Referees, people often use this thing, but he got the ball. It's not enough because if you Mm. endanger the safety of the opponent, then a referee has a duty of care to that player to protect him. And I think all too often this season, we, we are not seeing enough of that. And does it have to result in a good player? And I'm not talking about a City player or a player in the top six. I'm talking about in the Premier League, full stop being seriously injured before we actually apply this law properly.
3: It, it's madness because, you know, the, the, the country gets up in arms over a dive and, you know, we've got to clamp down on this retrospective. No-one gets hit. And, yet, you know, challenges that can end careers. Can't get, like, you know, who cares? It's stupid. Mm. And it's like you know, the classic English football
2: stupid. Yes, yes, yes. Talking of players who are important for their team, Virgil van Dijk. Is he going to be the missing link at Liverpool? You see, no, in a word,
1: no, because um, I think there are still more pieces in that jigsaw to be put together. So I was resisting the urge to say that's was another good. Question. <laughs> <laughs> you can come again. Um, but we quite clearly, K. Two will come in the, in in the summer, and he will help to provide that protection in front of the back four that Liverpool so clearly need. They clearly talking before we started need another goalkeeper because Mignonet has had the time had the faith had the patience he quite clearly isn't good enough to retain his place in the liverpool team but i do think that van dyke is an, another element of of, of <laughs> what van dyke does is a yet another statement for liverpool they are making rapid progress, and they have done over the last calendar year. They've got a defined way of playing. They've developed two good young players, Alexander and Alexander Arnold and and Gomez. They now have a four-pronged attack, interchangeable. Before this season, they only had two players, and if either Mane or Coutinho was out, you'd get the way you know you'd get the Premier out, and you'd be worried about whether or not they could score goals getting behind. Uh, they. I think as far as Liverpool are concerned, the progress that they've made, Van Dijk is an element of that progress. What I do also think defensively, I think we may differ on this, if you look at the Spurs defence, if you take Alderweireld out of that defence, they lack organisation, they lack leadership, and they're there to be got at. They're there for the taking. And they're an example how one man sometimes may not be the answer, Mm -hmm. but I think he, he definitely provides... A lo- a large part of the solution in that he can give them that kind of leadership that they're quite clearly lacking. It's quite interesting at the weekend uh, where he took his seat uh, for the game. Uh, forgive me, who did they play at the weekend? Uh, they, they uh, the game on Saturday, I, I can't remember who it was against, but he took his seat and within three, Leicester, Leicester, mm. within three minutes of that game, Van Dyke said. I'll be start, he must probably <laughs> said to himself, I'll be starting next week. Yeah, yeah.
2: Because they concede in the first five. But it's minutes. really interesting. Is that there's always an element of theatre about Liverpool, isn't there? And the way that they've built him up as almost like the Messiah has arrived... Yeah. That's going to put an awful lot of pressure on him.
3: Well, it is as well, and considering that behind him, he's got a goalkeeper that's dodgy, uh, two has left. Good luck with, uh, with help from there. And uh, in front of him in the midfield, he won't get any screening. It's, um, it's, it's not going to be easy for him, but he's a good player. And, and, and I do agree with Darren in the sense that they need an organiser, they need a talker, they need someone to, to actually give some of the team a bit of a kick-up, the jacks at times, because they, they do lack leadership in the side. And, uh, you know, so the, uh, confidence is fragile at times. And, and he'll do that. And, he, you know, he's, he's good on the ball. I hate this defender's good on the ball. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bonus. Yeah. But, you know, it'd be nice if he could stop a piece every now and again. <laughs> and, so, and and so But you'll give them a bit of physicality in there. And so I think he'll make, it, he'll make a huge difference. And, and it's, a, it's a big boost. I mean, 75 million's an awful lot for a centre-earth. Yeah. I mean, defenders should be the cheapest and easiest positions to fill. You know, you should be 75 million. You'd be thinking 20 goals. But money doesn't mean anything anymore, does it? No, not with the new with the television deal. It'll become increasingly like this. So it'll be worth every penny if he gives them more stability than than they've had. And but there's still a work in progress. And I think when when comes, that'll make a difference. But I mean, he's he's predominantly a forward-looking player. So I think they need someone with a bit more stability in that midfield. Um, And, you know, sort of left-back, goalkeeper, probably another centre-half. So there's still a fair way away. For Klopp to maintain the momentum, they've got to at least get in the Champions League this season. And I think at some point, you know, like we often talk about Tottenham, they're going to have to win a trophy um, and get over their hump. But... They do appear to be moving forward. Well, unbeaten in
2: 16 games, which tells you an awful lot. Mm. In this league? Yeah. Yeah, well, hmm. You know, but if you look at... If you, but if you, I think that, that they're actually almost going under the radar a little bit. I, I think they're pretty much stuck on for a top four place.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, I,
2: I think you're right. Yeah. Thank you, Tony. That's a first, <laughs> isn't it? What about the power of Klopp's personality? You know, that, was, that shone through in that signing. Mm. Is he the sort of modern manager who needs to project almost like a welcoming image or a progressive image to actually recruit players? Because recruitment is the be-all and end-all these days, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Uh, Yes, it is. Because I think as far as Liverpool are concerned, when I I was with them in pre-season and... After the main press conferences, they were terrific with us, me and a couple of other guys. We'd do our separates for the daily papers. And we was, we, it was quite clear that Southampton were digging their hills and weren't going to sell. We said, what will you do? Will you go out and you get someone else? And he said, no, we'll wait. Same with Cater. We all believed that Leipzig would, would crumble. And, and, and allow Cater to join Liverpool. And they were obviously going to dig their hills in. And we said, oh, Are you going to get someone else? And he said, No. And he's had pelters for that, as we all know. He's been criticised. And people saying, I'm sure there must be another defender that can improve Liverpool other than Van Dijk, another midfielder other than Cater. But what's quite clear is that under Klopp, they now have a, 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 a philosophy where i hate using the word philosophy we're not talking about socrates but you know (laughs) but they have an approach where they are quite clearly going to set out the targets they want And they're not going to deviate from those targets. And I think that comes from Klopp. That Klopp has quite clearly said these are the players that will improve the football club. I think all too often, before him, they've bought cheap, they've bought twice, and again and again. Now it's different. And I think the quality that is coming in, it Klopp is now stamping his image, his personality, Mm -hmm. the word you used on the club
2: now. Well,
3: Socrates could play.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What about? Coutinho, will mm. Liverpool crumble about Coutinho? Because, you know, we've heard, you know, we've seen the Nike advert and everything else. We are going to hear this on a daily basis oh. until midnight strikes on January 31st, aren't we?
3: No, I don't think they will crumble. I think uh, Fenway Sports Group, you know, nail the colours to the mast in the summer and, and they don't like backing down, they don't like being embarrassed. You know, once John Henry draws a line in the sand, it's there, you know, he's not moving. So I think he'll stay, he'll go in the summer. But um, I think it'll, uh, uh, it'll you know, it'll rumble on, and it's um, funny. Well, I, I, I find it most amusing that, Uh Liverpool fans whinging about Barcelona's behaviour because you know their club would never do anything <laughs> at all like that ever, <laughs> you know. Uh, and it's um, no, I think he'll stay. I mean, the, the thing is, a lot of people, Liverpool fans, say, oh, you know, you know uh, they'll sell him to fund the, uh, the Van Dyke move. It, it doesn't work like that. They'd rather keep him. Yeah. But they realise that at some point, he doesn't. You know, he, when Barcelona come calling call or when Real Madrid come calling,
1: you can't really keep yeah. players. It'll be the summer, won't it? Yeah, it'll be the summer. But I think it's, it's different now. But if you look at what, what, what Liverpool have, Salah is on fire, as we know. I think Liverpool are at a stage, obviously, it will be a miss if you lose Coutinho. But at one stage, it would have been the end of the world. Now I think Liverpool fans look at what Klopp is building and they say, Okay, if he does want to go, it will. It mm. won't be great. It'll be a miss, but it will not be the end of the world for Liverpool. I think they'll move on. They're in a strong enough position. They will scout players. They quite clearly have the pulling power now, the finance as well. I think FSG have ended this whole idea that they are not uh, backing Klopp, which seems to be s- s- kind of simmering away despite the players they'd already bought. I think that they will survive without Coutinho. Yeah, and there's
2: yeah. a bit. Of, there's a bit of mental resilience within that squad. You know, you. Saw that at Burnley mm. to come back and win at Burnley after being pegged back later on, mm. and the way they celebrated as a unit, mm. you think, yeah, okay. There's something going on there which is which is working well for them.
3: Yeah, there's you know the, the, there's more cohesion there and there's um, I mean Salah coming in. You know, he, he I mean they wanted Salah. But they they want the Salah predates Klopp. It goes back to the transfer window of 2014. Sorry. So it's um, and he's coming and he, he's he's been better than anyone imagines, even as biggest fans. You know, it's uh, and 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 when you've got players like that scoring goals like that. Um, you know, uh, Mane, who was, who was, the, you know, the main man last year, has almost become a secondary, uh, sort of character in it. And and there is a great sense of of progression of forward motion from them. And while you've got that going, um, it, it's it's fantastic. I, I, w- one note of caution there, I would say, we're entering the third calendar year that Klopp's been at the club, and there's still this like, strange perception that he's new. Well, you know, we we are actually getting there. And 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 the other thing is. Saying that, oh no, we're, we're keeping, you know, we're, we're keeping our principles, and we'll, we want this player and only this player. It's 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 betting all your chips on one number on the roulette wheel, and you better hope it comes up. Um,
1: it, 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 you know, so we'll we'll see with Van Dyke. Are you surprised that Van Dyke didn't pinch him? Oh, sorry but city didn't pinch Van right um i i am surprised but but the
3: the thing is he wanted to go to liverpool he played for celtic and he gets the atmosphere he gets the history and uh, uh apparently he went to the champions league final and um and and uh, about about 200 people come up to him to join liverpool and, like one come up and said join city and like no one come up and said join chelsea <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: but i thought that was really interesting the nature of that deal was with family, you know, directly with Henry and Les Reed at, at Southampton. Mm. So that was a deal done strategically between two football clubs who understood one another. Mm. Southampton knew that they could drive a much harder bargain. Mm. You know, the shenanigans in the summer probably cost Liverpool 10, 15 million pounds, but they were happy to pay it. Everyone benefited but, but, from but it. In, but in, in, in Singapore, for example,
1: what, what they were saying was that while everyone was saying, oh, Southampton hate Liverpool, they can't. <laughs> we, we, it's we, a they, business. It's business, not personal. It's business, absolutely. That they were working on, Liverpool were working hard to repair that relationship that had quite clearly fractured with what had happened previously, And, and I think. Because of that, they were they, they, they were respectful after they put... Everyone on social media was saying, oh, Liverpool's tail between their legs, they're handling it terribly. Actually, they'd been working to make sure that the relationship between the two clubs was good enough when the time came so that they could get in there first and have first
3: refusal. They, they, they bent over backwards so far. that um, You know, they were almost a contortionist there. <laughs> they, they, they went a long way to... Um, to appease southampton and they have paid over the odds uh, in in that sense but the 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 delighted they've got the man and um and now we're going to see it will be it'll
2: be a very interesting spring with a uh, van Dijk in that defense mm, be interesting to see if he makes his debut in the fa cup and on that subject i just want to look at it broadly before we look at maybe any shops that might be happening this next weekend you know I think we were probably all brought up to believe in the magic of this particular weekend, you know, the third round of the FA Cup. But are we giving the FA Cup enough chance to breathe? When you think about, we're, we're still in the middle of a, of a, I think, uniquely hectic season, you know, the holiday season uh, spell of football. Is the FA Cup being done scant justice by By the rest of the way the football world's evolving yes Uh, and i think uh the
1: the pressure to succeed in the premier league is is having a negative effect on the premier league and i think it'll be very interesting to see the makeup of many of the teams that play in the premier league this weekend uh managers jobs depend on their performance in the premier league not on their performance in the fa cup Possibly only a few exceptions. I think we can see with the scramble at the bottom of the Premier League, eight or nine clubs are in danger of being pulled down by uh, uh, the, the sucked into the championship. At the top of the Premier League as well, you've got clubs like Everton who do have money, who want to force their way in uh, to that top table. Um, I think at the moment, the pressure at right now is on performing well in the Premier League. And I think as a result, we'll see some good FA Cup games. And I think that the clubs below the Premier League will give a good account of themselves. And I do think there may be one or two shocks uh, this first weekend of the FA Cup. But I think as far as the priority is concerned, for many, if not all clubs, it's the Premier League. It's the danger. The FA Cup becomes the de facto winter
3: break for Premier League clubs, and that's not good. That's, um, someone's got to do something to sort it out. I'm not in favour of a winter break, personally, mm. but over this holiday season, there was too many games. They've come too thick and fast. They've got, to be, they've got to be paced better. And the madness of it, on Thursday night, we've got a Premier League game. We've got uh, a Tottenham against West Ham. And on Friday night, the FA Cup starts. Well, how can that make
2: the slightest bit of sense? Mm. With, with the, the FA Cup, I've always felt that, um, you know, the essence is maybe of a, going to a Norwich Chelsea, you know, that's BT Sports' first game on, on Saturday night. Norwich as a club seeking to, you know, renew former glories. Basically, they, they've got their own um, uh, work to do in, in the in the championship, but this is a, a one hit, it's a free hit at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Chelsea on the other hand, they're not going to win the league. Is the FA Cup The sort of thing that a team or a club like Chelsea should be really targeting.
3: Well, they should be, but unfortunately, they'll be targeting the Champions League. They'll be thinking about that, and they'll be thinking about getting into the top four. Um, I would expect, sadly, the uh, Conte to play a weakened team because he knows that if he, you know, it doesn't matter whether he wins the FA Cup. If Chelsea get dumped out of well, if Chelsea get dumped out of the Champions League in an ugly manner, then he might not see the cup final at Stanford Bridge. Mm. So it, it's kind of immaterial to him. And um, I mean we saw in the semi final last year he left Hazard and um Costa on the bench, mm. only brought them on after an hour when you know things weren't looking so good. And that's his view of the FA Cup. He...
1: To go back to what you were talking about, Liverpool, Kenny did well in the Cape Cup. Cup competitions, it didn't save him because he wasn't right. able to do well enough in the Premier League. And I think Kenny Dalglish, and I think you know, we we have this romance with the cup competitions, particularly the FA Cup. But the realities at the moment with the finance that's involved mean that the Premier League will always take priorities over that uh, priority over
2: those competitions. Talking about the realities of the Premier League, you know, you're, you're off to Chelsea in a little while. Mm. How do you think they're going to handle? January in the transfer window. Who are we going to see coming in? Barclay has been talked about. Barclay has been talked about but he rejected
1: the opportunity to go there during the summer. Uh, So It will be interesting to see whether they can persuade him to come back. Spurs do look to be in pole position for that particular transfer. They do need reinforcements in midfield. Arturo Vidal appears to be a player that Conte has targeted. He's been after him for some time. Also up front, I will be very interested to see whether or not they get involved with the Sanchez deal because I think Sanchez strengthens Chelsea considerably. For obvious reasons, City have been after him for some time and now with Jesus injured, you would say that they would have
2: a a better chance than Chelsea. Could Arsenal countenance selling him? Okay, there's an economic case to be made for that, but could they really countenance watching him literally just down the road playing well for yeah. Chelsea. But then the, the,
1: the, the alternative is allowing a £60 million player to walk out of the door in the summer for free to your nearest rivals. That's a PR disaster for me, as far as... They, the they, they
3: can't win, can they? They,
1: they can't the, win. Uh, so they, they, they have botched this so badly,
3: it's untrue. And, um, you know, if, uh, in, in, if, if it was a situation where they even suspected in the summer that he'd go to Chelsea for nothing, you'd be better taking the money now.
2: Mm. Do you think that... Um, Arsenal have they reached the tipping point yet? You know, we always when you go there, you you always get this feeling that they're they're one game, one defeat away from yet another insurrection. Mm. Do you think that you can't keep going like that. No, it, it, it's going to happen. And I suspect
3: the tip, the real tip on point will come this summer if they lose Sanchez and Ozil. I think there's a host of other players who are eyeing the exit door there. I mean, Bellerin, uh, a year ago, was playing was playing brilliantly and was sort of out like being happy at uh, the Emirates. I think if you spoke to him now, he might give you a different story. <laughs> and he's not playing brilliantly anymore. Um, and, and so they're going to use, lose not only the, the high-profile superstars, they're going to lose lose some of the younger talent and they, you know they might end they might have to spend an awful lot of money in the summer and i mean i think you're talking about a, a two-year rebuild mm. maybe a three-year rebuild at arsenal mm. and you've got finger there he's what he's 68 in yeah. in october yeah. and is it they give him that two-year contract and it, it no one seems to have a clear idea of the direction that, the, uh, that they're heading in. The you you saw
2: you saw him last last week, didn't you?
1: Yes, yes. And 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 I asked him directly. You know, it's all he said after the game against Palace. Sanchez has shown his commitment with that kind of performance. So I said to him, look, it's all very well talking about showing your commitment on the pitch, but what about his commitment to the club? And he got very annoyed and he said, you know, look, why is every press conference all about body language or and whatever else? But at the moment, from Wenger at Smoke and Mirrors, for example, at his press conference today, he said, if he, if we lose him, we'll go out and buy another top-quality player. Well, if you see a top-quality player walking away from the club and exercising his right to leave on a free transfer, possibly because the club aren't meeting his, his expectations and, and, and his ambition... Why, as a top player, would you want mm. to go and take his place? That makes no sense. So when you talk about, and I agree mm. with you, Tony, it is a rebuild, but you do wonder, is it going to be top-line players that would go to the club as opposed to Chelsea or, or Manchester City? Or will it be promising players yet to reach their potential mm. that Arsenal will have to invest in it again for the longer term because the really uh, the blue-chip players will say, Arsenal are not a club where I can realise my ambitions. It's a real shame. Johnny Northcrow did a wonderful piece at the weekend where he talked about the the, the work they're putting in behind the scenes and the new people that are coming in. And, and, and at the top, you've got this 68-year-old guy who is... He, Holding him back is too strong, but I, I certainly think if he makes all the decisions, then where is the change at the club? Mm. And that is the big question um, that I would imagine a lot of Arsenal fans are asking.
3: And you know, and and, and Wenger gets gets air, uh, but when you, you ask about his players and the body language, but you know, we we see quite a lot of Arsenal, and um, and the body language
2: is awful. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the dressing room is a place of completely brutal truth. Mm. And if the dressing room is saying to Sanchez, we're not having the way you're behaving, you know, which they did in the game when, mm-hmm. when Wilshire confronted him, mm-hmm. and they're not really joining in the, the celebrations, if the dressing room is saying with one voice, no, mm-hmm. That must be much more significant, I think,
3: uh, than oh, anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, there's players there who drive Sanchez to the airport, you know, pay for his taxi <laughs> and his flight, you know, if, if, to get him out of there. And, um, <laughs> you know, he, he looks sometimes as if he's playing in a different game to the rest yeah. of the team. You know, it's quite entertaining to watch, if you like that sort of thing, but it's now not personal.
2: Mm, Arsenal at Forest um, on Sunday uh, in another BT Sport game. Were you surprised by Mark Warburton's second? Sadly, no. A uh, good manager,
1: good man manager. But the team were pay- uh, performing very poorly. One win in their previous seven. Fourteen defeats so far this season. It's the second highest, uh, joint second highest in the championship. They lost at the weekend as well. Uh, and he'd been appointed by the previous regime. Uh, so the new owner basically looked at the situation and thought, we're going nowhere under the current regime and, and I've got to make a change. And I think... it. <laughs> In the championship, you have a situation where there are so many clubs with a lot of finance at their disposal, um, but as not reaching their potential. Nottingham Forest is one of those clubs. It'd be very interesting to see who they get to take over.
2: Mm, I'm sure and,
1: about Roy Keane, isn't there? Oh, well,
3: yeah. I mean, Warburton's just a good manager, bad choices. You know, the, the police has since he left Brentford. Really bad decisions there. Um, but <laughs> Roy Keane, yeah, I mean, uh, it just, well, Forrest has been in such a mess for so long.
2: Well, why end it now? <laughs> <laughs> so, where, where are we going to see these shocks that we think will happen? I'll be a bit naughty, but how about Derby winning at Old Trafford?
1: Well,
3: M- Mourinho will probably play a weekend team, undoubtedly. Uh, but you know the cups saved them from a lot of criticism last year, so I think despite Derby playing well and despite you know United's problems, I think uh, I don't think we're going to see a shock there. Yeah. What about
2: Exeter at West Brom?
1: <laughs> I think no, not Exeter because I think last eight games uh, they've lost four. Uh, I think they've won two of them and drawn the other two. They're very inconsistent side. Even though those two wins have come, in, I think in the last three games, I think at the moment they, they West Brom might just have enough. It was quite interesting. They the last few, well, the response to going behind uh, against Arsenal was quite heartening for Alan Pardew's side. I, I, I'm, I'm Derby is interesting, you know. I think they lost twice since September, and they're in a good mm. form. I agree with you that. At, The the Cup has saved Mourinho, but then I I was convinced they would beat Bristol City, uh, and and, and Bristol City did them. So uh, you you just don't know which United is going to turn up. If Derby beat them, every alarm bell
3: will be going off. Yeah,
2: Yeah, well, wouldn't it? Whereas Wolves beating Swansea is almost the natural order of things now. If you look at Wolves, or or George Mendes, FSC, as we should really call (laughs) them, uh, Swansea, what did you make of... Uh, Carlos, uh, Carver, uh, Ahal going down to Swansea. That that was pretty left field, wasn't it? Yeah, it strikes me that's a
3: club preparing for life in the Championship you know, getting ready, thinking maybe he can bring them up again. They'll have the parachute money. You know, he, he knows the championship. So, um, uh, But, you know, they, they, you'd think Wolves would be too good for them because they're, they're going to swap positions next year, aren't they? And um, you know, when you've got George Mendes as director of football, then you, know, you, you should be able to go to the championship.
2: <laughs> yeah. With West Ham, you know, let's be honest, everything's going to be geared to Spurs on Thursday. I think David Moyes has said as much. Now, they've got a game against Shrewsbury, which is a banana skin, to use that old well-worn cliche, at the best of times. It will be a surprise if West Ham survived that, won't it? It would, actually, um, because you just, again, don't
1: know which West Ham will turn up. You don't know what their motivation is. What's quite interesting is that Moyes has said some of the players, I was at Bournemouth over the festive season and uh, asked him, look, you've Got on record as saying that you want to buy new players. Does that mean that you feel you've given enough chances to the players that you've had a look at over the last what five, six games? And he said, "Yes, I've got. I'm in a man in a hurry. I am a man in a hurry." Everyone has had their chances now. Ideally, I'd like a pre-season, but I haven't got that. And I suppose he's right in so much as his reputation rests on him being a success at uh, at, uh, West Ham, uh, because he's got between now and the end of the season, and then West Ham can obviously consider their own options. So he has to get success. If the players respond, the squad players that we think will play in that game, respond uh, to, to getting their chance, then maybe you would say that they'll come out on top. But I have to say I'm not confident enough that uh, he's got enough quality within that squad to be able to, to get through.
2: A poignant, a poignant fix for this for, for Joe Hart, you know, going to the club that you know was his first club. Mm. He needs to get out of West Ham and fast, doesn't he?
3: Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, it's it, it's not working out for him very well, is it? And he, he hasn't he hasn't played very well. Again, I've seen him quite a lot of West Ham this year and he's been very, very disappointing. Um, and he, he needs to get into a team and and get himself straight. And I don't know how he's going to do it, really, um, because he seems to... He's always been a little bit of an excitable character and sometimes that, you, you wonder whether he gets too worked up so to speak, mm. and, um, and you know, he, he perhaps he needs to calm down and think about his game, think about his angles, think about his positions, uh, because some of them he's been taken up have been very poor.
2: On Monday, the final third round game, uh, Brighton Palace, it's the introduction of the video referee. What's your view on VAR? Is it more trouble than it's worth?
1: Yeah, if you look around the world, in the A-League, for example, in Australia, there's so much controversy about VAR because even when the decisions are made by the assist, video assistant referee, um, they've lost left a lot of people unhappy about it. In Germany, they've had problems with VAR as well. The other day, in the game between Manchester United and Southampton, a, I know this possibly wouldn't fall under the remit, if I'm not mistaken, but the penalty the decision or the penalty that wasn't given, the referee decided it wasn't a penalty. In the studio, Paul Scholes decided, was convinced it was a penalty. Chris Foy, who was in the tactics truck said, if I wouldn't have given the penalty. So if Chris was in charge of the, the, the VAR, he would not have given the penalty. So when we say referees need help, there is a a clear case of if you had that help, you would still have come to the same answer. So it is a fascinating, um, we all work on the basis that technology would help the officials. But at the end of the day, you still have a man behind, sitting in front of skin who would make a decision. Mm. At the moment, if you look around the world, those decisions are not being greeted very positively. Technology can only help if it's a cut and dry decision. Uh, Anything, it's got to be completely objective. All over the
3: line, you know, or not. That's the only thing. Anything that's got uh, any elements of subjective decisions in it, you know, like, was that challenge a foul? You know, was it not foul? It doesn't work for it. Not only in football, you see in American football, they've they've kind of ruined the spirit of the game because you slow things down and, and you know you're down to one two thousands of a second. You know, did he actually have control of the ball? And the guy's run five yards with it in his hands? And, no, he didn't have control. And you're like, are you insane? And if we get into that, uh, everyone thinks that VAR uh, is the panacea mm. for bad refereeing. It isn't. It'll cause even more controversy.
2: Mm. I just want to end if I may, on, on what I think is a, an extremely serious but fundamental issue. Uh, I think uh, Rian Brewster, mm-hmm. the, the, the Liverpool and, and England youth international, talking cogently, movingly, with, with brutal clarity about the racism that he's suffered. You know, we're at the stage of a, a year where we're all having our New Year's resolutions. Should football... Take racism seriously as its new year 's resolution, I think probably everyone would say yes, but will they will it i don 't think it will uh, because I think
1: uh, certainly as far as the authorities are concerned, two reasons FIFA FIFA responds to money fiFA doesn 't care about pop- football but yeah. uh, it doesn 't care about the black participants within the game, it's an uncomfortable thing to say, but I think when you look at the track record of, of world football over the last however many years, and I'm talking about the modern game, there is not enough uh, work that has been done, not enough attention that has been taken. Um, and, and, and I think, as far as the black participants in the game are concerned, around the world, they do not feel supported or protected enough by the people who run the game. So Rian's spoken brilliantly, Daniel Taylor for the Mm. Guardian has done tremendous work with him yet again. But my concern is that we have another generation within this sport that are entering the game with no faith whatsoever in the game to protect them from racism. We can change that. Either media get involved and push this message hard, as, as, as hard as the Guardian have done. Mm. Um, I think we all have a duty to fight this and I think for, we, we can fight this if, if, if we change the climate within which these players play. But my concern at the moment, as things stand, we're at at the end of a year where Suleiman Tari's walked off a pitch. Enya Luka's taken on the establishment and had the establishment bite back by trying to shoot the messenger. Um, I think when that climate changes, then we have a chance. Because this isn't just about FIFA. It's not just about Eastern European football, Mm -hmm. Spanish football, Italian football. It's about our game as well. Oh, yeah, without a doubt.
3: And you know what? Zero tolerance for racism in football. Zero tolerance in life. And we're in an environment where, uh, you know, so sort of we're seeing a growth of racism. People think it's acceptable to say things now that they wouldn't have said maybe five or six years ago. And football plays a part in this. Uh, the, 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 the John Terry thing, and in particular Suarez, what they did, they opened the door for the closet racists to come out. And this young generation are coming up against it now. And football really needs to clamp down. They won't because FIFA and UEFA don't care, and I have doubts so how much the FA care, yeah. and the Premier League just carry on counting
2: the, the, yeah. the pounds. We need much more than lovely, well-crafted TV adverts, don't we? Mm. We need concrete action, and as, an, as a matter of immediate urgency. Uh,
3: we, 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 we need people who do it to be brought to book and long, long bans, long suspensions, which tell... that. that that should tell everyone. You know, and, and in Eastern Europe, the way, the way these uh, grounds behave, shut them, throw them out of the competition. That's the
2: only way you'll do it, and but, they're not going to do it. But also, will football respond to the huge gesture, i.e. an entire team walking off? I think
1: that's what it's going to take. It's going to take action from the players, the participants, because when the players start... We see on the other side of the Atlantic where the players have, have, have taken a knee and players are saying we won't take this social injustice anymore and it's disrupting the the uh, uh, sport over there and everyone from the president downwards is is trying to get on the backs of these players but they're saying they've had enough and it's until that happens until you know we we get maybe even games over here disrupted until we see TV people highlighting this until we have big change everything else Mike is words and we've mm. had words I've worked at the Daily Mirror for 17 years I've seen words I've seen people say it's gonna change I've seen players play the game go along with it I've seen players get angry I've seen players want to talk about it be worried about the repercussions we've all seen it all mm. now it's time not to turn, of wring our hands and say how terrible this is and it's got no place in our game. It's time for action. If we don't get the action, we're just going to wait until the next occurrence of racism and go through the whole process all and, over again. And
3: people slide back into complacency and forget about it and then next time it happens, there's another bout of hand wringing. Not good enough.
2: Enough is enough. No more empty PR slogans. Racist players and clubs must be named, shamed and band. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.
0: Have catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.